to sit down. No, but why are we here? Wouldn't it be easier if God just, wouldn't it be easier if God just took us home? I mean, think about it. I mean, the gospel, we believe the gospel. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. I repent of my sin. I believe that gospel message, those three facts, and I receive Christ into my life. And wouldn't it be easier at that moment, the moment that I received him, that there would be like a bright light come down from heaven and I would be beamed up to be with Christ? Wouldn't that have been better? And to just demonstrate to everybody in the world as I'm going up, oh, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus now, you know, and then disappear and be with the Lord. Think about all of the pain and all of the suffering in this earth that would be no more and I would be with the Lord and it would be the end but God doesn't do that. No, I give my life to Christ and what happens? Well, this world happens. The pain and the hardship and the difficulties of this life. In fact, John 16, 33, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So he promises that we're gonna have hardship I give my life to Christ, and yes, Christ has made the difference in my life, but it doesn't make this life any easier. There's still cancer, and there's still death, and there's still suffering, and there's still broken relationships, and there's still all of these things happen. I mean, look around. Watch the news. And you go, what in the, why, God, why are we still here? Why are we still struggling with this? It would just be so much easier to be with you. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and the theme of this book in Cruciformed is this idea that he's crucified with Christ, yet he no longer lives, but Christ lives in him. And he's defending his apostleship against the outside attacks of men and women that have come against him and his spiritual authority. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 17, I'm going to read. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who is in Christ, always who in Christ always leads us in triumphal triumphal procession and through, through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death to the other a fragrance from life to life who was sufficient for these things. Verse 17, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Let's pray. Precious Father, illuminate your word to us in the next few moments. Teach us what you want us to know. God, I am so unworthy to proclaim and communicate your word 
but I know that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So let your Holy Spirit take your word and penetrate our hearts to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. We submit to your authority. We submit to the truth of your word. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Trophies, trophies. When you were a kid, you played sports to win the trophy. Well, at least I did. I wanted a trophy. Now they give trophies for every, you participate and you get a trophy. And they're all like the same size. And I remember one time I was telling my daughter, um, she's 12 now, um, yeah, when your dad played, only the first place team got a trophy. So if you, don't get a, if you don't get first place, it's really no big deal to get a trophy. You should probably get a trophy. So my daughter took this to heart and they're handing out, at the end of the season, she lost every game, okay? It was painful to watch in soccer. They're all running around in this big amoeba, like trying to score. And she lost every game. And at the end, they had all the table of trophies and the teams come up in, in order of place. And my daughter comes up and they're handing out trophies to every single player. And they come up to her and she goes, I don't deserve a trophy. We lost every game. And she walked past the guy. And I was like, whoa. And I said, and, and she's like, dad, I really wanted a trophy, but I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. And, I, and what I had communicated to her is I said, the fact that you want that trophy means that you need to go in the backyard, you need to practice to make your team better so that you can get a trophy. That's what motivated me because I wanted a trophy. And I, I thought, man, this is so important, so important, so important. And then I'd win these trophies and I'd stick them on my shelf and they just collect dust. And my mom a, a couple of years ago called me and goes, I got all your trophies, honey, and I'm throwing them away. I got no room for them, and they're just collecting dust. And I remember at the time, it was so important to have that trophy. It was so important to earn that trophy. It was so important to get that trophy. But I realized that it wasn't the trophy that, yeah, I was working for the trophy, but the trophy just, it was the representation of the trophy, of all the hard work of the teamwork, of all of the things that happened. And it was an opportunity to proclaim to people. When I got my trophy, I showed it to my parents and my grandparents and my friends. I got a trophy. When my, when my daughter was little, she used to call it a trophy. Trophy. I got a trophy. And it was this idea, though, of what it represented. It wasn't actually the physical trophy itself as much as it, what it represented. And I was thinking about that in regards to this passage, that we have victory in Christ, that God, right here, it says that we are Christ's processional, triumphant procession. Realistically, we are God's trophy of his grace upon humanity. Have you thought about that? Have you ever thought about that? God saved us to be a trophy of his grace. 
Because it's not in the good times that the world is watching us Christians. It's in the hard times that, God is, that, that the world is watching us. Let me, let me read this again. There's, there, I, I have this in the NLT. Do you have it in the NLT? All right, bring it up in the NLT because I want to read it in the New Living Translation. It's just a different translation. The ESV is like an 11th grade reading level. The NLT is like, for me, it's like in a fifth grade reading level. So we're going to go for the fifth grade reading level as I'm going to read it for you. It's a different translation. It's a really good translation, and I'm going to read it to you because I want to give you guys an understanding of this passage and what the Apostle Paul really is saying in a fifth grader for me because I'm not smarter than a fifth grader. Um, So let me read it for you. When I came to the city of Troas to preach the good news of Christ, the door opened, the, the Lord opened a door of opportunity for me, but I had no peace of mind because my dear brother Titus hadn't yet arrived with a report from you. So Paul was in Troas, he's preaching the gospel and he's waiting for Titus to come to him and give him a report of what's going on because he's thinking about what's going on in Corinth. Okay. Remember, he had already written a letter to them. He had already visited them, and he wanted to know what was going on, what was happening. And he didn't have peace to stay where he was, even though God was blessing his ministry there in Troas. Now, Troas is in Asia Minor. Macedonia is Greece. So he has to get in a boat, and he has to actually go down the Aegean Sea and cut over to get to Corinth. So this is like a long journey that he has to take to do that. And God was blessing him. And his ministry in Troas, but yet he could not get there. So he decided, guess what? I'm going to go and come because Titus hadn't arrived yet. So I said goodbye and went on to Macedonia to find him. So he's going to look for, for, for Titus because Titus is on the way to him and he wants to find Titus so he can get the report, okay? But thank God he made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task as this? You see, we are not like the many hucksters, I like that, the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Same passage, different reading level. Someone says, what's the difference between all the different translations? Well, the King James is like a college level reading level. ESV is like 11th grade reading level. And then NLT, fifth grade reading level which I like, so. Do you see what the Apostle Paul is saying? You understand what he's saying here? He's he's saying this. He's saying that we as Christians, you Christians, the reason God didn't take you away, the reason God didn't take you out of your circumstances, the reason God didn't do these things is because you are a trophy of God's grace. You're a sweet-smelling perfume, You're an aroma to everyone you come in contact with. To those that are Christians, you're a sweet aroma. To those of you that are not Christian, to the non-Christians, you give off the smell of death and they kind of want to stay away from you a little bit. For those that are being saved, they're watching. Why, Why is that? 
Why are we trophies? How are we trophies? I, don't, I want to give you four truths to demonstrate to the world and to Christians in the church that you're a trophy of God's grace. There's four things that the Apostle Paul's saying here. If you're taking notes, pull out your little paper, all your lines. You've got plenty of room to write. There's four things I just want you to write down from this passage of Scripture. The first one is this. How do we know what's because of this? Number one, verses 12 and 13, the Apostle Paul is talking, my, my, my spirit wasn't at rest. I wanted to go find you, so I took leave. It was this. The gospel takes root in our soul for all to see. How do, I, how do I understand that? How do we know that passage? How do we know that from those two verses? Well, the apostle Paul sent Titus, not as a spy, but as somebody to check out what was going on in the church, okay? He wanted to know what was happening. So he sends Titus to go and observe. Does that make sense? So Titus is an observed, and so Titus is seeing, has the gospel taken root in the lives of the believers in the church in Corinth? Has the gospel penetrated their lives? And so if you're a trophy of God's grace, if, you are, if you're walking in the victory of the triumphant procession of God, the first thing that has to happen is the gospel has to take root in your life and grow and start to permeate in every area of your life. You guys, tea drinkers? My wife is a tea drinker. There's two types of tea drinkers. There's the dippers and the soakers. The dippers dip their tea bags in and then they pull it out because they don't want their tea to get too strong. Bitter. My wife says bitter. I say strong. As you can tell, she's a dipper. I'm a soaker. I want that tea bag like a hot tub just to drop that baby in and stay there till it gets all everywhere. And my wife says that my tea is bitter. I say strong. But it's that idea, and so that the bag is just constantly making that tea water stronger and stronger and stronger. Lots of Christians like that as well. It's the dippers and the soakers. Some people that dip in, get a little bit of God, and then they dip out because they don't want God to be too strong in their life. The soakers are the ones that they, they come in and they're like, our oh God, just stay here. I want you to go everywhere in my life. That's what the gospel's supposed to do. Why are we here? Why did God take us up to heaven after we invited Christ into our life? Well, because he wants to grow strong in our life. The song we sang, give me faith. I may be weak, but your spirit's strong in me. The spirit of God permeates my life. And it's not just for me to endure what's going on in this world, but to be an example to my fellow Christians and to those outside the four walls of this church building to see the gospel in my life. Has the gospel taken root in our soul for all to see? And Titus was there watching to see in the church in Corinth, has the gospel taken root? Paul's like, I wanted to hear the report. I want to hear the report. I want to hear the report. And I couldn't sleep. I, was at, I wasn't comfortable. So I had to go and find Titus. 
Because I wanted to know that the gospel had taken root. So how do you know if you're a trophy of God's grace? The gospel's taken root in your soul for all to see. Number two, and this is verse 14, Christ shows us off as a triumph and a fragrance. Remember when you get a trophy when you're little? Or you get an award, you get a ribbon, you win some third place in the spelling bee or something at your school and you're showing everybody your ribbon. I got my major award. Even though it's a leg and a window. But anyway, I got, you know, because you want everyone to know. I did something valuable. Okay, now here's the beauty of this. Christ thinks that you're valuable. And so he's showing you to the world and demonstrating to the world that I save and I transform. He's showing you to the world. And it's not based upon what you do. It's based upon who you are. Because what I hear a lot is, well, that person goes to that church, man. I don't want any part of it. He's not perfect. And my response is, yes, thank God. There's room for me because I'm not perfect either. That's the type of church I want to be in. We're a hospital for the sick. We're not perfect. You're, you're broken? Yes. Christ is the one that makes us whole. Yes, I need Christ every day in my life. You're messed up? Yes. I need Christ to fix the mess up. So we're, my wife and I were eating at this restaurant and my son has this glass and he drops it and it breaks everywhere. And when we were young parents, we were like, oh my goodness. Now we're older parents, because we are old now, and we have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And we go, yay, you failed! <laughs> woo What can we do better next time? Because here's the deal, you know what? We fail. And what can we do better, and how can we learn from that as long as we're failing forward? It's that idea that God demonstrates his love towards us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is not for the well, it's for the sick. The gospel's not for the perfect, it's for those that are imperfect that confess their need of Christ every moment of every day. We don't just invite the, we don't just don't receive Christ into our life and then we live a perfect life. No, we invite Christ into our life, and then what happens is the gospel is something that we need every day because we have struggles and we have doubts and we have difficulties in our life. And the Bible says that we are his triumphant procession, that he's parading us. Now, the language of this is from a Roman, think about a Roman victorious army coming into a city in a triumphant processional and they're having these huge party and they're coming in and everybody is there cheering and watching and seeing and it's triumphant and they have their banners and they have their things. Think about like the Roman army coming into a city that is just defeated and everybody's out there cheering. That's the language 
And the apostle Paul's saying, you church are his triumphant processional. Who's, who's cheering? Well, my Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. My grandma's cheering in heaven. Saints of old, family members, people that have gone to be with the Lord, they're cheering. All of the saints of old from scripture were surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. They're cheering because we're Christ's triumphant processional. But then he uses another illustration here. He says, we're also a fragrance. That's a little odd. Most fragrances, and the people, especially myrrh, do you guys know what myrrh is? It's, a, it's, a, it's an ointment they used for healing, and it's also used for an aroma. It's one of the gifts that gold, frankincense, and myrrh that Jesus got when he was born. Myrrh is like, it's these little seeds, and the only way you can get the myrrh out of the seeds, this oil, is you have to crush it, destroy the seed to get, the, to get it out. And then it lets off this aroma, and then they take it and they bottle it. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you're not only just this triumphant processional, but you're also a fragrance. Maybe he's referring to the fact that some fragrances can only be made known when they're crushed. Maybe the Apostle Paul is talking about this idea that some of you are experiencing hardship and you're a fragrance during this hardship. And I was thinking about this. Most of my unsaved friends that I've been sharing Christ, that I share Christ with, they don't really watch me when things are going really well for me. Most of my unsaved friends are the ones that are coming to me when things are going really, really bad. And they want to know if the gospel works then, when I'm being crushed. It was amazing when I had, can I battled cancer for about three years. I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and it wasn't good and I was going to be dead, all this kind of stuff, okay. It was amazing because the unsaved people wanted to watch me. Maybe they wanted to smell me. What kind of aroma is he giving off? I know some of you have suffered dearly and greatly in this world. Some of you I can't even imagine some of the things that you've gone to. Maybe you've been abused. Statistically, if you're under the age of 28, one in four women and one in six men have been sexually abused. That is the statistics in our country, if they're true. I know some of you probably have been greatly wounded. But God shows us off not when we're just doing well, but he also shows us off when we're not doing so well. 
And the Apostle Paul is talking about how he leads us in a triumphant processional through us and spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You being in a situation or a place is letting off a fragrance, an aroma. The aroma of Christ. And if you're a trophy of God's grace, you're giving off an aroma. And some, some people are saying, well, so to those that are Christians, to the Christians, it's a sweet aroma. To those that are not Christians, it's not a good aroma. And my response is, is someone goes, well, help me to understand that. I think he's talking in the, in, in the eternal. For all of those that are going to be Christians, you're a sweet aroma. So that means they might not yet be saved, but because of your testimony of Christ and the gospel working out in your suffering, they're going to come to know Christ. They're going to come and be saved. And to those that are saved, that aroma is sweet. They're saying the gospel's working. It actually works in suffering. And it's an encouragement. It's a sweetness to them. And so the apostle Paul is saying, yes. And to those that are lost, that are hardening their hearts and they hate God and they're gonna go bust hell wide open, even though Christ has died for them and risen from the dead, it's putrid and they hate it. They hate that smell. Because to them, it reminds them of their lostness. It reminds them of their sin. It reminds them of the fact that they're not good. And it causes them to run further away from the gospel. Two more. Four truths that demonstrate to the world that you are a trophy of God's grace. Number one, the gospel takes root in our soul for all of us to see. Number two, Christ shows us off as triumph and a fragrance. And number three, we live in the sincerity and authority of Christ. Look at verse 17. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men and women of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. If you're a trophy of God's grace, you live in sincerity and the authority of Christ. You're not peddling God's word. It's not a dog and pony show. Look at Christ, how great he is. When things are going horrible, you're not going, bless God, brother. Yep, life is hard. No, you're, you're sincere. I remember sitting in a... In a having a conversation with my wife where this person wounded me. I've never been so wounded in all my life by somebody. I've no, I had known this person a long, long time. And this person absolutely betrayed me. In fact, the last words we spoke face to face, he's screaming at me in my face at the top of his lungs. And I've never been so hurt and so angry. And I remember looking at my wife and saying, I know I'm supposed to love him, but I find myself fighting hatred towards this person. 
and I need God to help me every moment of every day to forgive him. That's sincerity of the gospel in my life. It's, I know what I'm supposed to be, and I know I'm not there yet, and so I need the sincerity and the authority of Christ to work in my life, Romans 8, 29, to conform me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, because I'm not there yet. And every day, it, it was a battle for this season in my life. And I wasn't insincere. How is it going? It's difficult. It's hard. The problem is, is oftentimes in the church, we don't want to hear the negative. We only want to hear the positive. That's why you need to get in a small group. If you're not in a small group, you're here at Coastal, you're not in a small group, get in a small group. Because that's where you share that. Because otherwise, it's just one of these things. I don't know if you've ever been to a church like this. How you doing, brother? I'm doing horrible, but God bless, brother. And they'll go, oh, that's great, because they're not listening, and they move on to the next person. You know what I'm talking about? How are they really going? It's going great, brother. That's what they want to hear, but they don't. But the reality is that's not sincere. That's not authentic. We're called to make authentic followers of Jesus Christ, which means this, that yes, I'm messed up, I'm broken, and I need Christ. And you're messed up, and you're broken, and you need Christ. And so we come together, and we say, yes, we need Christ. He's the one that changes and transforms us. And this is what the Apostle Paul's saying. He's saying, that's what we are. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. We speak Christ. If you're a trophy of God's grace, you live in sincerity and authority of Christ. And the last thing is this, number four, and then we're done. We're mindful that God is always watching. Are you a trophy of God's grace? The last part is in the sight of God. Underline it in the scripture. If you're a trophy of God's grace, you're mindful that God is always watching. And he's not watching us from a distance. Sorry, Bet. Um, you know what song I'm talking about? You know, some of you guys know. Some of you, all the young people are like, what the heck is he talking about? <laughs> no, he's, he sees us. We recognize that he sees us. He sees us. And the Apostle Paul is coming before this church and he's basically saying, look, I want to know that you're doing well. I want to know. God's parading you around. I want to know. He says, I'm not trying to peddle God's word. He's, he's not sharing Christ to get rich. We're not here in Gloucester proclaiming the gospel to get rich. Keep your money. If you're visiting with us, we don't want your money. We want you to know Christ. Give your life to Christ. Because if you truly give your life to Christ, then guess what? He just doesn't get your money. He gets everything. When Christ has you, he's got everything. Everything is his. My cars, my house, my children, everything belongs to Christ. My money. Why? Because I've given my life to Christ. I belong to Christ. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ has changed me and transformed me, and it's working in me. And so therefore, I recognize who I belong to, that I'm a trophy of God's grace, that he's put me on display, and he hasn't put me on the shelf, but he's parading me around. And I'm giving off an aroma, a fragrance. Sometimes that aroma is not very strong because maybe, just maybe, I'm kind of ashamed a little bit of some things that I'm struggling with in my life. Have you ever met somebody, they walk into a room, like on the other side, and they're wearing perfume, and maybe they just put it on, either that or they put a gallon on, and you're like, woo, Betty's here. Yes, she is. But it just fills up that whole room. I don't ignore it anymore. I'm like, Betty, you smell awesome. So glad you're here. she's wearing it. Everyone can smell it. Let's acknowledge it. That's the beauty of the gospel in our life. And the apostle Paul saying, that's you, church. That's why I came. That's why I want to hear. And it's not just true for the church in Corinth, but it's, the church, it's true for us today, the church in Gloucester. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, I just thank you for the men and women here. I just pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you would bless them. They would recognize the gospel in their life. It would be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ, in everything that they say and everything that they do. They would recognize, Lord God, that their worth and their value is not in what they do, but in who they do it for. Their worth and value is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ and their life. It's the hope that's within us. It's the cross of Jesus Christ in us. It's Christ in us that changes us and conforms us in the image of his son. God, help us to be that trophy, Lord God, to be that aroma. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's truth. We love you so much. Thank you for the men and women here. Grow us, change us. Conform us to be Jesus to our neighbors, Lord God. We have neighbors, Lord God, that haven't smelled us and they need to. We have neighbors that haven't seen us or seen Christ in us and help them to see us, Lord God. Pray us in front of them so that our neighbors would know that Christ works, that Christ transforms, that Christ changes, and that we belong to Christ. Because you see, God, you see all. God, that's a scary thought, and I'm so sorry, Lord, when you see me doing things or thinking things or that totally displease you, God. But thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, the fact that you died on the cross for my sins and you bodily rose from the dead. 
I pray if there's somebody here that's struggling, Lord, I pray that you would minister to them and love them. Be near to them now. If they've never received you, I pray, Lord God, that they would call upon the name of the Lord right now and be saved. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name.